Praise the Lord. Are you here this morning to hear the word of the Lord? As you remember, we are studying through, like I said, the gospel according to John. And this morning we come to a woman at the well. So let's open up your Bibles. John chapter 4 verse 1. The word of the Lord says, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sigar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask to drink from me? A Sumerian woman. For Jews have no dealings with Sumerians. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked Him and He would have given you living water. The woman said to Him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with. And the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Very good question. Are you greater than your father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have said, Well, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you have now, whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. A prophet. Our fathers worship on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to a woman, Believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now when the true worshiper will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. And at this point His disciples came. And they marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no one said, What do you seek? Or, Why are you talking with her? 
The women left their water pot, went away into the city and said to the men, Come see a man who told me all the things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out the city and they came to him. What a wonderful passage. What a wonderful encounter between a woman and our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to talk to you today about breaking the chains of religious rituals. And when you think of this whole conversation that took place there, and if you cut down through the layers of what is put before our Lord, you will see all it's coming down to is religious rituals. Religion is so pumped up, but yet it is so empty. We find this woman has got a lot of religious answers when she meet our Lord Jesus Christ. But there's something that I want to show you this morning. And it's all about the gospel. We're going to see as we're going to go through it. Our Jesus is breaking through every single layer of excuse. We're going to see it's like an onion. If you peel off the top, there's another layer there. You peel off another one, there's another layer there. And this is what our Lord is doing. He comes from the outside and then He goes right to the core of the problem. And then He gives healing. This is what happened to her. So let's go into this. In verse 1 it says, Therefore when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. You see, for the Pharisees, this was a problem. The Pharisees were part of the Sanhedrin. That was a political group in the day. It was made out of Sadducees, Pharisees, and scribes, but the scribes were part of the Pharisees, and then there were also the Herodians. So if you think about our political thing now, it is all three of these parties. Now the Pharisees were really interesting. It is them who were so afraid about Jesus and John the Baptist, because the Pharisees were middle class businessmen, whereas the Sadducees were more the elect people, the rich people where the Pharisees were middle class. And they had a connection with the middle class, the masses. It is also said that the Pharisees were the smaller part in the Sanhedrin. But yet there, things that they pushed through, came through. Why? Because they had the masses. They had the middle class. They were the middle class businessmen who put up their time to go and sit in the Sanhedrin. And it is this, that feared them, when they see that somebody like Jesus had more disciples than John, the middle class are now following somebody else, and that put fear in their hearts because they were afraid they're going to lose the voice of the middle class. And then they lose their position. A lot of people today hold on to their position. Now this is why it says that the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard this. And then he decided, because his time is not yet come, that he's going to remove himself and go back to Galilee. At that time, Tiberius was the Caesar over all, and that Pontius Pilate was the governor over Judea. You remember Pontius Pilate? He was the governor there. So Herod was in charge of Galilee, and Philip was his brother. In verse 4 he says, But he needed to go through Samaria. It is so as if, as if John writes this down and he's trying to make an excuse for this. 
to go from Judea to Galilee, there were three routes, two of those routes goes through Samaria. One through the northern part, one through the south. And the other one was much further, but he decided to go through Samaria. And it's as if John is writing down and says, as if it's an excuse. He, he's trying to make an excuse for him to go through Samaria. Why? Why the Samaria? The other thing to notice is that once he came into Samaria and he came to Jacob's well, that he was wearied from his journey. That points to you and to me that he was God, but he was man like us. He got tired. He was hungry and he was thirsty as well. But this is not a fascinating thing. The next part, the next verse. He says, And a woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. And we would think this is natural, isn't it? We would think, what's wrong with that? Well, guess what happens? The disciples went into the city. The woman came from Samaria and she said to him, How is it? You being a Jew, ask a drink from me. A Samarian woman. And now John writes this in as an explanation for the Jews have no dealings with Samarians. And, and truly, dear friend, that to me is a shocking statement. Absolutely shocking. That tells me that there's groups of people in the world who absolutely dislike other groups of people. Here is one of those. And let me tell you, it's still alive in our day and age. There are people who absolutely dislike other people. In fact, let me say, they hate them. And here we've got one of those encounters. This lady comes on. All he asked was just for water. Give the man a glass of water. It's over and done with, but she made an issue out of that. Not just because she made the issue, but because there was an issue with the Sumerians. And you can truly ask the question, who were the Sumerians then? You see, you will not understand this woman if you do not understand who she is. And this is the problem in life. We try to solve everybody's problems, but we do not take the time to understand them. Isn't that right? Because we've got an ABC way of dealing with people and you've got to fit into that. People don't fit into your little program. Have you noticed that? Each one has got his own path. And you deal with each one how they need to be dealt with. So the Sumerians, if you've asked a Jew in Jesus' day, who were the Sumerians, they will just straightforward tell you that these people are half-breeds. Subclass people to the Jews. And this is because they were intermarrying with the Assyrians. And because they've mixed the blood now, the Jews thought, whoa, we are more high and mighty than this group of people. We don't even... Look, the, some of the rabbis didn't even go into that place. They felt if you touched one of these people, you are touching a corpse. That's how bad it became. Can you imagine that people, even in our day and age, would look at other groups of people, cultures and so on, and they would feel the same in their hearts? But guess what? The gospel is not for color. It's not because you're an Australian, a South African, a Kiwi, or a, a Serbian, or nothing, or a Kenyan. It doesn't matter. The gospel is for everybody. For God so loved the world. 
If you ask these people, they'll say they are Sumerians. Now, I want you to open up in your Bible because I'm going to show you where these people come from in the book of 2 Kings chapter 17. We're going to learn a fascinating lesson out of 2 Kings chapter 17. If you open up your Bible there, I'd like you to go there in your own Bible. I've got it on the board, but I want you to follow me there if you can as well. 2 Kings Chapter 17, verse 24. We find an interesting time in Israel's life, in the history. Because they were sinning against God, God allowed the Assyrians to take them captive. To take them out of their land. To take them out of this part which is called Samaria. So all of these Jews were taken away. Now see what happens here. And, and, and I'm just dropping right into the middle. It, it makes fascinating reading if you read the whole uh, uh, chapters of Second Kings. He says, Then the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kutah, Ava, Hamath, and from Sepharphan, I hope I've said that right, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel. You see that? So the king of Assyria brought these people from all the other places and he set them in the cities of Samaria. The reason why the kings did that is to put their people in there and then there's no uprise. In other words, they built a culture away from their land. This is the reason they did that. So they took the Israelites out of that area and now he's flooding the area with these different nations of the Assyrians and Babylonians. So, instead of the children of Israel, and they took possession of Samaria and dwelt in its cities. And it was so at the beginning of their dwelling there that they did not fear the Lord. They did not fear the Lord. So, there was no fear for the Lord of the land. There were no fear for God. And therein lies the problem. I want you to listen this morning. I see it happening in our day and age where people are going around and there's no fear of the Lord in them. Young people are living as if life will never end. They're living as if we can't die. They're living as if there's no consequences. And this is because there is no fear of the Lord. It's the same that these people did. They came in. Therefore, the Lord sent lions amongst them, which killed some of them. Who knows that there's consequences for sin? I don't have to tell you that. The Bible says it's like that. These people didn't fear the Lord, so He sent in lions amongst them, and He killed some of them. So they spoke to the king of Assyria, saying, The nations whom you've removed and placed in the cities of Samaria do not know the rituals, you see that word, of the God of the land. So here's the problem, they tell the king. They missed the point. Can you see that? The point is they do not fear the Lord, yet they come and they say, we don't have the rituals. That's what they say. Therefore he sent lions amongst them, and indeed they are killing them because they do not know the rituals of the God of the land. What is it to them? It's about the rituals. Let's do the church thing. Oh, let's just turn up on Sunday and do the church thing. Let's go through the rituals. That's what they said. We don't know the rituals. This is why this God is killing us. In verse 27 he says, Then the king of Assyria commanded, saying, Send therefore one of the priests whom you brought from there. Let him go and dwell there. 
and let him teach the rituals of the God of the land. Let him teach them that. Then one of the priests whom they have carried away from Samaria came and dwelt in Bethel. Bethel means house of God. So he came back and taught them how they should fear the Lord. Can you you pick up on what's going on here? They want him just to show the rituals. He comes back and he says, no, no, no. It's not about the rituals. You need to fear God. This is how you fear God. So what happens? He, He showed them how they should fear the Lord. However, don't you just like that word? If you see the word however, it means everything before it is actually rubbish. Yeah? Oh, we're going to do all of this. However, forget about that. Now we're going to do this. He says that he taught them how to fear the Lord. However, every nation continued to make gods of his own and put them in the shrines on high places which the Sumerians had made every nation in the cities where they dwelt. Did they listen? You see, they make gods of its own and we are doing the same thing today. People don't fear the Lord anymore. They make gods of their own. There's other thing more important than God. Anything that's more important than God becomes an idol. Anything more important than God is going to rob you of your time. Anything more important than God is what you're going to spend most of your time on. Anything more than God is what you're going to spend all of your energy on. Do you get the point there? They made idols. You don't have to make a little statue here and say, because it's easy when we look in the Old Testament and we say, look, we don't make those statues, but yet we do. It's fascinating. I was driving on my way to, to church this morning and, and Leona and I had a discussion in the car because we saw somebody taking their children to a sport, to do sport. Now look, listen to me. I've got nothing against sport. I'm not saying the devil is in sport. Um, but listen to this. What is taking the place of worshipping God? These people ought to fear God and worship God, yet they, they go other places. And you see the, the biggest idol of all, listen to this, the biggest idol of all is me, myself and I. How can I satisfy myself? I need to build this whole ecosystem around me just to satisfy me. I'm just trying to bring this practically to you, okay? Here, they were taught the fear of the Lord in Samaria. But Why? just because they were afraid of the lions. That didn't come from the heart. They would just take these lions away. So, in verse 32, so they feared the Lord, and from every class they appointed for themselves priests of the high places, who sacrificed for them in the shrines on the high places. And this is a sad verse. He says, they feared the Lord, yet serve their own gods. This is what you call pantheism. Pantheism. You know what that is? That is when you have so many gods and God just becomes one of those gods. That's the biggest religion of our day and age. Look, it's not Islam or Christianity or Buddhism. Pantheism is the biggest of all. It's the biggest of all. I met a man once in New Zealand and I was preaching one day a sermon out of the book of Acts. 
about the unknown God. You know that passage in Acts when they, they came to the Pagras and, and Paul was talking to them and I preached man with fervent zeal and I said, look, put away all the other gods and this man came to me afterwards. He said, you nearly had me there. He says, when I walk out of my house, at the top of my house, I've built a small rack there. I've got small statues there. He says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take your Jesus and I'm going to put him there next to the others. You see, we look at this guy and I said, look, you are so deceived. I I ministered to him. We look at him, but still a lot of people are doing it. They don't put these things above there. They are just putting them in their lives. All these other gods. They feared the Lord, yet they went out and served their own gods. Whom are you serving? This is the background of these Sumerian people This is the background of this woman who was living there now, meeting Jesus. Can you see this? More so that they now despised the Sumerians, but as time went on, they stayed there and they kept living there and they started marrying in between the Jewish women there and now the Jews didn't like them at all. They were defiled. They were a half-breed. In the time of Nehemiah, when he went back to try to rebuild the walls. You remember that? It was the Sumerians who tried to stop him to build the walls. It was not only that, but they built for themselves a temple on Mount Gerizim. He's going to talk about that later on. They built a temple there, and then they said that Moses was the one who said that that's the place to worship. And that more infuriated the Jews. Samaria became also a place for the refugees or the outlaws, the crooks, the criminals, the Jews who ran away, they went into Samaria and Samaria said, look, you can stay with us. In the book of Judges, he talks about these cities. And that infuriated the Jews even further. And not only that, these people received the first five books, the books of Moses, but they rejected all the other prophets. This is the people who's there. This is this woman he's talking to now. Have you got the background? So, Jews don't talk to them. Yet now he comes in, he sits down at this well, and he says, can you please give me water? And she comes up with this whole story, which is only ritual, religious rituals. Now I want to show you now, I'm going to give you four stages that Jesus is breaking through each one of these layers. And it's right there in front of you. And I want to challenge you this morning because each one of us went through those stages. Each one of us. So first of all, we see that she saw him as just being a Jew. Look at this. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone into the city. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you being a Jew... You see, friends, a lot of people just see Jesus Christ as a Jew. He's just a Jew. I spoke to somebody one day. They say, do you want to tell me that you preached that Jew who was hanging on the cross? I said, that Jew has got a name. His name is Jesus Christ. But how did I come from Jew to Christ? That's the same path this lady is taking. She saw him just as a Jew. 
So he said, how is it that you ask me? And then his answer is so fantastic. I want you to notice this. He says, for the Jews have no dealing. Or, or, or John writes that. And then Jesus answered. Listen to his answers. If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. You see, the problem here is, she's ignorant of three massive things here. Critical things. First of all, She's ignorant of who he was. Who's the Jesus that you are following? Do you know him? Or is he just a Jew? He says it right there. He says, you would have known who said to you, give me a a drink. The second thing she is ignorant of is what he had to offer, the gift of God. Do you know what is the gift of God? Honestly, sitting here this morning, do you know what His gift is for you? I'll tell you what it is. It's the good news. It is the gospel of Christ. It is that He died on a cross for your sins. He washed your sins. That's good news. And look, He says it is a gift. Do you know what a gift is? I mean, if, if uh, it was Sarah's birthday last week, if I come over to Sarah and say, look, I really honestly want to give you this $10 note. I want to give it to you. And, and she looks at it and she says, wow, can I give you $11 for it? I can't take it, honestly. I, I mean, it's, it's a good deal for me. I'm making $1. I mean, that's good profit, isn't it? But it is not a gift. If she doesn't accept it without feeling she's got to give anything back. He says, this is the gift. You would have known the gift, but she was ignorant of the gift. And then she was also ignorant of how she could receive it. Now let me ask you, how do you receive the gift of God? Do you know? It's right there in front. He says, if you would have known who it is, if you know who it is who says this to you and the gift, what would you have done? You would have asked Him. You would have asked Him to give you what? Living water. Living water is better than normal water. You see the first step? that Jesus is dealing with her, it is the one highest, uh, you know, the first ones he's putting out to him, he's just a Jew. Is Jesus just a Jew for you this morning? Who's got wonderful stories in a book called the Bible? Is he just that name that your parents taught you when you prayed at night and you stand there and you say that little prayer up with Jesus in its name? And they ask, who's Jesus? Well, he's just a Jew. Are you ignorant this morning of the gift that He's giving you and who it is and how you can receive this gift? The second thing that... So the first layer is off. The second one is, He's greater than Jacob dealing with the flesh. Look at this now. Uh, He says, Are you greater than your father Jacob? You see, he's now a little bit uncomfortable about his answer. What is living water? What is this? Now it goes to the next step. Let's bring in our father Jacob now in. Clearly I know now I've got to deal with somebody here. And now she says who gave us this well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and livestock. That is all fleshly. They came there physically. They drank from it. There is the well. You can touch it. This is Jacob represented here now. Now listen to Jesus' answer again. He says... Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But, 
This is a good bud. Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him, in him, a fountain of water springing up into the everlasting life. Man, I get excited about this. I hope you're on this journey with me. I hope I haven't lost you. Now he's dealing with the fleshly side and Jesus' answer is so perfect. She's thinking physically. He is talking spiritually. You see, Paul writes for us in the book of Corinthians, he says that the the natural man cannot understand, understand the things of the Spirit. He can't. But he's now opening it up for her, layer by layer. He says, whoever will drink of this water will thirst again. And let me tell you this morning, if you are hearing my voice this morning, whoever drink of the world will thirst again. I see so many people go to worldly places to satisfy a thirst inside of them, still to wake up the next morning and go back again because they, they're not satisfied. The world gives water, but it's water that brings you back and back and back again. So many times. And this thirst will follow you even into Hades, into hell. Now let me take you there. Go with me to, in your Bibles, it's not on the board, I want you to follow. Open up in Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, we're talking about the water that will take away the thirst. He says, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. I want to show you a man here in Luke chapter 16, who was drinking of this water of the world, which will make you thirst again. Luke chapter 16. The... uh, The story here, and by the way, this is not a parable. From verse 19 is the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And and it says that this rich man, he was clothed in purple and fine linen, and he was very, he had a very good life. But there was a beggar named Lazarus who was full of sores and he laid at his gate. And he desired to get some of the food from this rich man. So that's why he was lying at this man's gate. Now it says that both of these men died. The rich man and the beggar. So what happened? If you want to have a glimpse into the afterlife, this is the chapter. This is not a parable. This is a true story. If you want to ask me what happens to me when I die tonight, this is the chapter. This answers it. So both these two men died... And they were buried. Look at verse 22. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abram's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades. You see that? If you are sitting here this morning, I want to tell you there is a literal hell. It's written in the Bible. It's not a figment of the imagination. At this point in time, just to give you the picture, there is a place called Hades where all the dead went. If you die, you go to this place under the earth. And on the one side, it tells you right there, there was torment. Then there was this big gap that nobody can go through, and on the other side, there was Abraham. So when the rich young man, rich man died, he went to torment. And when the the poor beggar died, he went. The angels carried him to the bosom of Abraham. And he was comforted. Now listen to this. Remember, we're talking about water. He says there in verse 23, And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then, 
Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in what? In water. And cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Listen what I'm telling you today. This water of the world will keep you thirsty even into Hades. You think it's a great life that you live out there and you think it's great just to keep on partying and live on as if you know. Listen to this. If you don't come to Jesus Christ, this is where you'll end up. Serious, isn't it? But it's true. He's sitting there in agony and he says, can Lazarus just dip his tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue? He's got a thirst. The thirst of the world or the water of the world can't satisfy him anymore. There's only one thing that can satisfy him and it's Jesus Christ. Unfortunately for him, it's too late. Now I want you to turn with me now to Isaiah chapter 44 in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 44. You see, the gospel is serious. I'm going to show you now the promise of water that Jesus is talking. You see, Jesus is not just pulling out these words. Why did he start talking about water? Oh, yeah, it was at the well. I get that. He was asking water. But when he started answering him back all of these, these religious rituals and, and religious answers, he went straight into the water, the living water. Where did he get it from? I'll show you. Let's have a look in Isaiah chapter 44. Look at verse 1 and see the connection here now. Let me ask you, at which well was she sitting at? At whose well? At Jacob's well. You remember that? Here we find the prophet. And what well is he talking about? Look at verse 1. Isaiah 44 verse 1. Yet hear now, O Jacob, my servant. There you go. Wow. And Israel, whom I've chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you and formed you from the womb who will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant. And you, Jerusalem, whom I have chosen, for I will pour water on him who is thirsty. See that? And flats on the dry ground, and I will pour out my spirit on your descendants, and my blessing on your offspring. What will he do? He will pour out water on him who is thirsty. I hope by now you understand this is not a natural thirst he's talking about. It is a spiritual thirst. He says, I'll pour water out on him. Turn on a few pages further on. Go to Isaiah chapter 55. Look at this invitation here now. You see, nothing is new under the sun. Jesus is not just picking things out of his thumb. He's not shooting from the hip. He knew what he was talking about. Look at Isaiah chapter 55 verse 1. Ho! What does that mean? That means if you're riding a horse, you pull it back, you say, Ho! You stop it. It is as if the prophet is trying in your busy day, trying to stop you for a minute and to take notice. He says, Ho! Everyone who thirsts, what do you need to do? Come to the waters. And you who have no money, come and buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. You see, when Jesus came to us, he was ignorant. He says, come and buy without money. You remember when she saw him as a Jew? 
It was a gift of God. It's free. You don't need money to get this water. It's free. Now let's fast forward to the New Testament quickly and flip over to John chapter 7. John chapter 7, verse 37. And it is fascinating. We are dealing with a religious woman here. And and yet here in John chapter uh, uh, 7, Jesus is dealing with religious leaders here. Uh, If you look back at verse 32, the Pharisees, you remember I've explained to you the Pharisees just now? They were part of this political group, the middle class, the middle businessmen. Here they are again. They heard the crowd murmuring these things concerning him and the Pharisees and the chief priests' officers to take him. You see, they were threatened. They heard this murmuring. They thought they were going to lose their people now. Now they react. And then Jesus said to them, uh, but let's fast forward now on to verse 37. He says, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, what did he cry? What did he cry? Here is his words. If anyone thirst, let him come to whom? To me and drink. He was standing at this woman at the well. And he says, if you know who is standing here, you would have asked me living water. The invitation of Jesus Christ is going out to this woman at the well. It's going out in John chapter 7. And it's going out today to this people in this room. The word of God says, if you are thirsty, come to me. Come to me. It's an urgent call. It's a direct call. It's a clear call. Can you hear the call? He says, come. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Oh man, when I gave my heart to the Lord and and that verse became life to me, I said, Lord, I want to have lives of living, wells of living water in me. But friend, it doesn't come from you. It comes from what you put in. If he put the living water in, the living water will come out. If you put the rubbish of the world in, the water of the world in, it will not come out. It will make you thirsty and thirsty. And then what will come out is not water. It is rubbish. It is rubbish. It is a sinful life. I told you this morning this is a, this is a gospel message. But I'm not preaching it. Jesus is preaching it. Now, I'm not saying I'm Jesus, but he's doing it through this story with the woman at the well. He says it right there. He says, And out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But he spoke concerning the Spirit whom those believing in him would not receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Let's go back to this. First of all, she saw him as a Jew. Now it's the flesh. And Jesus deals with the flesh. He deals with the flesh in this manner. He says, If you drink of the world, you will thirst. But if you drink the water that I shall give, you will never thirst again. But the water that I will give him will make fountains of living water spring up. Can you see the layer going? There's one more layer. You are a prophet. I want you to see now the progression. You're a prophet. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. That's interesting, isn't it? 
Why would he, why randomly would Jesus ask that question? Because it was the work of the woman to go to the well and to get water. What's the husband got to do with this? You see, that's how people will, will reason it out. But Jesus was way more clever. Now he operates as a prophet. See this now. He says, go and call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. It's really interesting. If you look at the whole time when she speaks to Jesus, that's the shortest sentence she said. I wonder why. I wonder why. And I'm going to tell you why it is. Why I believe it is. I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband. For you have five had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. You see, friends, there is no conversion without conviction. He is pointing to her now and to the sins he's living in. And it is so interesting that she had lots to say when it came about the Jew and to, about Jacob, but when it came to her sin, she had nothing to say. I have no husband. And then he told her, yes, I know that, because you are living in sin. And it amazes me these days that when you hear people's testimonies and you hear people preaching from the pulpits, that now we've got... We've got a repentance, or let me put it this way, we've got a salvation without repentance. That's unbiblical. What are you saying this morning? I'm saying that according to the Word of God, when you come to Him, He deals with your sin. And there could be no conversion without sin, a conviction. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, 9 and 10 says, If you... If you confess your sin, He's faithful and just to forgive you your sins. But I want to read to you the verse before that. He says, if... Let me open it up. 1 John chapter 1 verse 8. He says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I hear people, testimonies, they say, oh, I was a bad person in the world, then I started going to church and now I'm a good person. And I ask the question, where is the conviction of sin? Where is it that you confess your sin to God? Not to me, not to man. If you sin, you sin against God. You see, here it was Jesus Christ who who showed you these things. That's what He does. He convicts of sin. We need to know that we are sinners. With a fallen nature. But you see, that's not politically correct these days. Because mankind don't want to hear that we are sinners. We want to hear how good we are. Yet somebody has to say it. Jesus said it to her. He became very personal. He says, go and call your husband. He says, I have none. And then he deals with that. And I like it when he says, you spoke truly. One thing about your sin, when you come to God and confess to him, Speak the truth. Tell him honestly. Because he knows it anyway. He wants you to tell him. Say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. It sounds bad when I put it like that, isn't it? But the Bible talks about filthy rags. Our good works is like filthy rags. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. 
You see where he started? You're a Jew. You're Jacob. You know the flesh, greater than Jacob. Now, see, perceive that he's a prophet. But you see, he's come a long way, but he's not there yet. Let me explain. In verse 20, he says, um, Our fathers, he says this, Our fathers worship on this mountain, and you Jews said that in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. Jesus said to a woman, Believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is now coming. That when true worship will worship the Father in spirit and truth, the Father is seeking such to worship Him, God is spirit. You see, I've noticed this over all of my life dealing with people about salvation. Once you come to the point of sin in their lives, what do they do? They point away to other things. That's what He's doing. That's what He's doing here. Adam and Eve. Adam, what have you done? It was the woman Eve it was the snake we don't like it when our sins are brought to the fourth isn't it and this is what he's doing he got her to a point and then she perceived he's a prophet and then she's trying to throw in another another group of uh, 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 religious stuff in there about where to worship him but you see she came a long way but she did not know who to worship She did not know who to worship. He says, worship the Father. She did not know where to worship. She brings up these mountains. He says, you you, you worship on that mountain, we on this one. And she did not know how to worship. And Jesus says, worship in spirit and truth. Now let me finish today. You're a prophet. Then we find the Christ. You see how she started with Jew, Jacob. She came down to prophet. Her sins were exposed and revealed. And now the woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming. Who is called the Christ? He didn't say who is called the Christ. That's what John wrote in there. But she said, I know that the Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will tell us all things. But wait a minute. He just told you things, didn't he? He told you about your husbands. But not only that, he will tell you all other things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. The penny dropped. I'm He. I'm He that you need. I'm He for the world. I'm He who will take away the thirst of the world. I'm He this morning in this place who will take away your thirst. I'm He. He's the Messiah. He's here. He's not just a Jew. He's not Jacob. He's not the flesh. You see how he broke through every one of those layers. And then he came down to this. And at this point the disciples came back. But I want now to point you to this here. See what happened to this woman. Because I truly believe that she came to salvation. You say, how do you get that? Look at the verse. He says, the woman then left her water pot right there. You see that? Isn't that what she came with? Isn't that that she had to do, wasn't it a work to come with the water pot? But she left it right there. Listen to me. It doesn't matter what burden you come to the cross, you leave it at the cross and you leave without it. You see, her burden in her life was that thirst, the thirst of the world that the world always had to keep on giving her. She leaves the water pot right there and she goes. She's 
You know, I look at that and I think in a mind, in my mind, you know, I, I don't want to write stuff into the Bible, but in my mind it is a sign of saying, I'm finished with the water of the world because I've received the living water. She left the pot. And what did she do? She went her way into the city. She went back into the city. When she went out of the city, everybody knew there was a stigma around her. Listen to me this morning, sin has a stigma to it. It smells dirty and rotten. She went out of, I can foresee her because she had five husbands. People knew her. Do you know, do you know that lady? She had five husbands. People were talking about her. They were gossiping about her. I can see her walking with this water pot, going out to get some water, maybe in the shade. I don't know. I don't know these things. But when she went back into the city, she's a different woman who went back into the city. Hallelujah. Can you see that? Not carrying a water pot anymore. She had a different purpose of going back into the city. What is that purpose? She said to the men, not to the women. I find this fascinating. You see, I see these little things. So she goes back to the men and says, the gal that you used to know ain't that gal anymore. She's a changed gal. I'm changed. Why? Because I've met the Master. I thought He was a Jew. I thought He was as great as Jacob. I thought He was a prophet. But above all, best of all, He is the Christ. He's the one who gives living water. She goes back into the city and she calls the men out. This is one of the signs of somebody who truly are born again. You can't keep your mouth shut. You want to tell the whole world. I've met a man like that. I myself was like, I wanted to, I wanted to convert every single person who walked past me. Grab them on the arm and say, are you saved? Have you got the living water? But, but I knew a man in South Africa, he was, uh, when I was youth leader, he was part of the youth. He got radically saved, that man. He was, he was a bum. He was lying in, it's a bum. You know what a bum is? A, a, a homeless person. Sorry if that word is the wrong word to use for him. He was a homeless person who was just lying without a job in the street, sniffing glue, sniffing glue. When somebody preached to him the gospel... He gave his heart. He came to the well and he got some living water. And he put everything, he left everything in that park. This is his testimony. He left it right there. He got a bicycle. We had a company called Checkers there. Checkers. People in South Africa will know it. It is, it is like Woolworths. And they had these yellow Checkers bags where you put all your groceries in. He got his bike and he had a yellow Checkers bag on the front of that thing. And in that bag was a pen, a paper, and there was a Bible in there. And he got on that bicycle and he would go into that park. He would go everywhere and he would tell them what. Jesus Christ has done for him. Not only that, his whole life turned around. His demeanor turned around. You could see a change in him. I can see this woman coming back into that city and she's got a spring and a step. There's something different about her. She goes straight to the men. She said, listen, there is a well out there. There is a man at the well and he gives different water. Do you want that water this morning? Do you crave for that water this morning? Listen to me this morning. You will for the rest of your life walk around with water pots. With this water, you don't need a water pot. He fills you up. That's the difference. She becomes an evangelist. You see that? She becomes an evangelist. Come and see. Come see. 
He went back into Galilee. You remember that? Who did he find there? He found Philip and Nathaniel. You remember that in chapter 1? And when he found Philip, what did Philip tell Nathaniel? He said, we found the Messiah. Come and see. Peter and John, come and see. She went into the city and she says, come and see. A man who told me all the things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Oh, he is the Christ. And he's here this morning, my friend. They went out of the city and came to him. You see the layers? Four layers of them. I want to ask you this morning, where are you? Do you see him just as a Jew? Or uh, do you see him in the flesh? You know, you see the physical? Or are you with the prophet this morning? Did he, did he, while I was preaching, expose some of the hidden secrets that you've got? You could fool me. You could fool somebody next to you. But you cannot lie to yourself and you cannot lie to God. He knows it. He's, he's the prophet who knows it. Are you with Christ? And if you are with Christ, is the living water that gushes from the inside out.